It was the start of the year in 2004. The Indian cricket team was in Australia, battling it out in a riveting test series that saw the two teams head to the last match at 1-1. The winner would take the series. Despite a strong showing by the Indian team, the great man, Sachin Tendulkar, was having a surprisingly dull series. Over the course of the first three test matches, he only managed to score 82 runs in all. But while dips in form are not an anomaly, even for the greatest batsman in the game, there was something else that concerned most observers at the time. The Australian bowler seemed to have found a chink in the man's otherwise impenetrable armour. Knowing his love for playing those stunning-looking cover drives through the offside, the Australians decided to cleverly use that very strength against him. They peppered him with deliveries that moved fast and swung clinically outside the off-stump. And sure enough, his favourite shot became his bane. He was out caught behind three times while trying to play the cover drive. Two of those were ducks. The plan was working for the Australians. Then came the fourth test. An important game and potentially a historic one. It had been a while since India were in such a good position to take a series against Australia in their backyard. But if they truly wanted to challenge them, to truly take the mighty Australians to the edge, they needed the little master to deliver. You know where the story goes. Cricket's method to fixing a problem had always been resolutely analogue. It had always been about recognising the problem first and then hunting to find a creative solution to fix it. Tendulkar in the fourth test match walked out to bat with a very simple pronouncement that he made to himself. He wasn't going to get out. And he planned to do this by employing a creative yet simple adjustment. He decided he just wasn't going to play the cover drive. The Aussies could bowl ball after ball in that slightly outside off stump region, but he was not going to acknowledge it in any way. Every time they hit that line, as they did throughout the series, Tendulkar was happy to let it go for the wicketkeeper to collect. The man's most beautiful shot sacrificed for a higher purpose. 436 balls later, Tendulkar walked back to the pavilion after scoring a massive 241 runs. He refused to play a single shot through the cover region throughout those 436 balls. And as per his plan, he remained not out. Much like this one, cricket has a history of these creative solves. Adam Gilchrist thought it wise to have a squash ball in his glove to improve his grip and pull him out of his slump. Rahul Dravid elsewhere decided to curb his instincts and held himself from getting behind the ball to improve his offside play. This change, which would eventually get him back into the limited overs national team in the late 90s and lead to one of his most prolific passages of play. But here's the thing. For every such solution that we hear about, there's probably a hundred others that players would have experimented with until they found the one that lifted their game. And that's fine. The problem, however, is the lack of time today. Today, with the competition as fierce as it is, the question is if players have the luxury of time to try the trial and error method and figure out a solution. The answer is no. Today, time is of the essence. Finding that solution sooner rather than later becomes the difference between maybe winning and losing a game and even keeping your place in the team. And this is where artificial intelligence has a role to play. With its innate technology to predict and accurately identify problem patterns, AI could give cricketers the opportunity to find their solutions far quicker than ever before. Now imagine Tendulkar finding out that the problem with his cover drive isn't that he's magically forgotten how to play it, but perhaps 
that the Australian conditions required him to maybe swing his bat a little faster. Sachin Tendulkar, armed with efficient artificial intelligence technology, would have been a terrifying prospect for any bowler. So how does AI work with sport? And how far away are we from seeing it happen? I'll tell you in just a bit. From ATS Studio in Microsoft India, this is Paradigm Shift. Stories of innovation shaped by intelligence. I'm Harsha Bhogle. I think AI is going to have a massive role to play uh, in multiple sports. That is Mr. Abhishek Binayaka. What Jumbo was to flippers and googlies, Abhishek is to machine learning and artificial intelligence. He's a chief operating officer and chief product officer at Spectacom, a tech-based company founded by Anil Kumble to bring artificial intelligence into the game of cricket. The team has partnered with Microsoft to define a new paradigm for performance analysis and fan engagement using Microsoft Azure cloud and AI services. I mean, we're seeing deployments in a lot of the, the North American sports. So if you look at uh, MLB and the NFL, they do use uh, a lot of AI. And that's not just for uh, enhancing the viewing experience, which has been the primary sort of driver so far, but also in analytics. You can only get so much through camera-based technologies and sensor-based IoT and AI takes you to a whole new level of, of data analysis and insights that were not available before, especially in a, in a, in a game like cricket, uh, which is more geared towards T20 and more power hitting. A technology like this uh, gives you very precise insights into how you've got to structure your game, how you can play in a specific scenario, helps a player better understand their strengths and weakness. Uh, uh, you know, so a lot of that kind of amalgamates and, and can be used both from a performance standpoint as well as into uh, uh, in, in fan engagement. The people at Spectacom have invented something called the Power Bat. It's a sticker that you place at the bottom of the bat that records the finer details of your batting technique and presents it as data. And Spectacom isn't messing around with the kind of data they provide. I'm talking about bat swing, angle, speed, the works. It's a calculated approach to the art of batting that will allow any player to completely strip their style down to its bare bones and approach each game uniquely. The AI that's used uh, in our technology is, uh, is primarily uh, for ascertaining where the impact happened on the bat, right? So it's, we've got a bunch of uh, MEM sensors uh, on, the, on the sticker. We've got uh, axles and gyros, uh, right, as part of the, the hardware, uh, but it's one thing to get all the raw data and another thing to make sense of it and to make sense of it in a way where it's accurate and well understood by the user, right? So to ascertain exactly, you know, where on the bat has the ball made co contact uh, to an accuracy of, you know, of a centimeter or two uh, requires uh, physics algorithms are not just, you know, it's just statistics or physics uh, equations are not going to give you that, that level of granularity. You've got to have AI built into it. And how we've done that is taken tens of thousands of shots of, of data, of training data, uh, and use that uh, in conjunction, you know, with our with our existing models to sort of ascertain exactly how and where, uh, you know, the ball would have made contact and on which part of the bat has the ball made contact. The machine divides the bat into a certain number of zones because of which it can tell you with a high degree of accuracy where exactly the ball struck the bat. That is the first point of data for any cricket shot, ball meeting bat. And with years and years of data fed to the AI or machine learning tech, 
Spectacom is able to accurately start with exactly that. On which part of the bat did you strike the ball? Right, so today if you see, for example, when a six is hit, they'll tell you it's 80 meters, 90 meters. Those are physical markers that the broadcaster will put in the stands. So if it falls between the 80 and 90 meter mark, it's you're just guessing it's 85, 84, 83, right? Uh, right now, and especially, and you don't have those markers, uh, uh, you know, essentially when you're in, in your nets, uh, when you're when you're practicing power hitting, you really don't know uh, how far you hit the ball. So this metric, again, a lot of AI goes into it where where you where you look at different parameters that your sensors are giving out and you extrapolate it to then predict how far does the ball uh, travel, right? Which again is very useful because every ground is different, every bowler is different, and it gives you a lot of information in terms of how you want to go about your particular game, right? Do you, do you need to swing it at 80 kilometers an hour? Uh, no, but if you're, if you're a really good timer, maybe you can clear a 65 meter boundary at 60 kilometers an hour of, of at speed, right? At its best, AI will be able to tell you how far you'd be able to hit the ball just by understanding the speed and grip with which you struck the ball. Now, just go back to that Tendulkar incident. What the power bat would have done is tell him how slow his bat might be traveling to meet the ball and what angle his bat was approaching the ball at, all of which could have been fed to him in real time and helped him immediately course correct. Now, where is all this data that the power bat receives stored? It's stored in something called an azure sphere, a device placed right behind the stumps. It's been provided to Spectacom by Microsoft. The data captured by the sensor on the bat travels to the Azure sphere that then forwards it to the machine learning model for further inference. This is quite literally the cricket of the future. In fact, cricket has been at the forefront of bringing AI to the game even in the smallest ways. For more than a decade now, we've seen those DRS systems that help umpires track where the ball might have landed had it gone past the pads. Now we're seeing a more personalized, individual-first approach to AI, where the player is benefiting from the technology in a way that could potentially help him or her perfect certain skills. Right, let me talk about a different aspect of the game. Coaching. Cricketers have been coached in a certain manner for hundreds of years now. So much of the training is intuitive and coaches back themselves to figure out the right solutions for the issues a player might be experiencing. From the way we grip our bats to how we jump while approaching the bowling crease, all of it has been hammered into us by coaches with specific and varied styles. So how does one train the trainers to unlearn everything and reapproach the game? with artificially intelligent eyes. Coaches, not only in India, I think uh, globally, uh, at least until very recently, have relied heavily on, on intuition and you know their feel for the game, which, which don't get me wrong, is still very important. You can put as much data, as much technology in, that, that feel for the game, that instinct, is always going to be a very key component of coaching, and, and as it should be. Uh, I think where, and especially in India, uh, you know, once the coaches see the technology and see actual benefits to their awards and to the players playing under them, that's when the realization happens, oh, wow, you know, uh, this is actually uh, information that I couldn't give directly without this tech. So you can't look at a batsman and say his back lift angle was, was 30 degrees and it should be 60 degrees, right? It's, it's just not, uh, you, you can't give that level of granularity uh, using the naked eye. We, in fact, uh, uh, we had a Karnataka under-23 player use the tech um, you know, his game had fallen off, uh, uh, you know, from, from where it was. And they found out that there was a problem with his twist and, and back lift. And 
problem with the twist basically means that you're not gripping the bat tightly enough. So every time the ball comes in, it's moving a lot in your in your hands. Right. So all of this is very hard to see with the with the naked eye. Uh, so that's where the value comes in, and and I think once people see it, they they understand the the usefulness of the game. So for cricket, it's still a long journey of breaking through traditional modes of instruction and establishing an entirely new kind of training. It's still an odd picture for most of us to think of a cricket coach outside the practice nets, looking at data points on his or her phone rather than the batsman or bowler and the way they're playing. And it's still a little early to accurately predict what kind of impact this technology will have on the sport. We aren't artificially intelligent enough to predict that just yet. But there are other sports that might just give us a hint at what the future holds when it comes to AI and sport. Other sports that have not just adopted AI into its gameplay, but have well challenged the machine and lost. We're now going to move from players on pitches to pawns on boards. From how's that to checkmates. From batsmen and bowlers to kings and queens. I am talking, of course, about chess. Chess has always been kind of a golden child of artificial intelligence. This is Dr. Siddhartha Sen, a principal researcher in the Microsoft Research New York City lab. Whenever a new idea or theory is proposed in AI, it's often evaluated on chess first. This has happened repeatedly throughout history, from the time of Alan Turing, the founder of computer science, who actually wrote the first chess-playing algorithm, all the way to the present day. It's redundant to say that artificial intelligence has grown at an unprecedented and rapid pace, but there are certain milestones that remain etched in humanity's large memory. A common person like me might not be very well versed with the technicalities of this world, but some breakthroughs in artificial intelligence are so striking that one can't help but marvel at the ingenuity of the human mind. One such incident happened on the 11th of May, 1997. It marks that line that demarcates a before and after period in the field of artificial intelligence. Before that day, while the development of AI was encouraged, nobody really believed that the machine could ever conquer man. But on that fateful day, in an intense game of chess, when an AI machine defeated Gary Kasparov, widely regarded as the greatest chess player the game has ever seen, there was a slight shift in our perception. AI had now broken through the hallowed labs of brainy scientists and had become something of a pop culture phenomenon. Movies have been made, songs have been sung, Books have been written all about this one simple chess game between man and machine. We heard from Siddhartha Sen just a minute ago. For many years now, Sen has been experimenting with AI and asking himself questions about the technology that in turn helps him create intricate machine learning models. And he, much like anybody who works with AI, also loves chess. Chess has an interesting combination of somewhat simple rules that when played out by two players back and forth, creates this amazing depth of complexity. The game tree that results from this interaction is so huge that we can't possibly analyze all the moves that could be played. I remember in 2007, they announced that checkers had been fully solved. And even that feat took hundreds of computers working continuously for almost two decades. But with chess, this just won't work, at least not with today's technology. So even the best chess engines, whether they use heuristic functions like Stockfish 
or fancy deep neural networks like AlphaZero, they have to stop searching for moves at some point and make a judgment call based on what they've analyzed. There are just that many unique positions you can reach in this game. The endless possibilities of chess fascinate researchers like Sen. With every move on the chessboard, you open up the possibility of a million types of games. Consider this. Kasparov confessed that he thinks five to six moves ahead while playing a game of chess. An advanced piece of computing in the 90s could consider 200 million positions per second. And chess is so vast and still so unknown that even after considering those 200 million moves, it still doesn't even begin to cover a fraction of other possible moves. But Sen's approach to AI is a little different from what we usually hear about. In general machine learning language, we feed data to an AI model and instruct it to, in the case of chess, win the game. The model then trawls through the millions of GB of data it has to see what the fastest route to victory is. Through this process, it arrives at what it believes is the best move to make in order to accomplish its goal. But this doesn't necessarily help a human get better at the game, right? My grandfather would say, I'm your partner, let's play. My sisters had cousins who were similar age to them, but I didn't really have anyone my age. So I played chess with my grandfather and he would lie down on the bed and get up, make his move and then go back to sleep. I mean, he was old and we were both playing at a pretty rudimentary level, I think. But I learned the game from him and developed a love of the game because of him. But after my grandfather passed away, I didn't play chess for many, many years until I had my own kids and they started playing chess in school. And then I thought, okay, let me try to keep up with them. And I was able to do this for a while, but then I had to sit back and just watch as my older son, Sammy, steadily surpassed me. He's nine, but I haven't been able to beat him for several years now. Watching Sammy's learning process made me realize that a lot of the questions I study in my research about trying to use AI in a more human compatible way, a more productive way, a safer way, that chess is a great domain for studying these questions. It's not just because there's a lot of public data out there and games we can use to train machine learning models. It's because we're starting from a position of power here, a position where the AI is already stronger than humans. So why can't we take these AI brains, which right now are just used to find the best moves and beat us, and instead use these brains to understand how humans play and help humans get better at the game? I mean, when the situation is reversed, when we have an AI model that's not doing so well, you know, not classifying images correctly or recognizing faces or translating languages, we work on it. We come up with new ideas, new techniques, we tune the models, and we help them get better because we're better at those tasks. So when AI is better at something, maybe it can help us get better too. That's certainly a much more productive way of using AI, in my view. Rather than melt into existential questions of how machines can beat man, Sen decided to flip the idea on its head and calmly accept that there are domains where AI is just naturally better than humans, like chess. But again, how does one harness this and turn it into a tool that can help us get better at the game? This is where my ear comes in. Sen and a group of researchers have developed a model 
that aims to mimic human moves as best as possible. Rather than search for the optimum move, as usual AI models are trained to do, Maya is trained to imitate a certain skill level to help aid learning and improve one's game. So rather than go the traditional route of AI to find the fastest way to win, Maya chooses a different path. Maya is trained on human moves from games played by humans and tries to understand how humans play. Maya can predict what a person of a particular skill level would do or even what a particular individual would do on a given chess position. And it can do this accurately enough that we can actually recognize an individual just by looking at say 10 of their games. When you gain this understanding of how each person plays, you can use it to identify their weaknesses, their strengths, what distinguishes their playing style from other players, and you can use these insights to help them get better at the game. Instead of trying to find the optimal move and just win the game, we're trying to find the human move. We still use deep neural networks like AlphaZero. But instead of using reinforcement learning to discover better moves, we are essentially using a classification approach to predict the most likely human move. So in this way, I can study many of the research questions I always wanted to about humans and AI through chess. Even questions that don't seem related to chess. This to me is the right way to bridge the gap between humans and AI. And we're doing that with chess right now. but i hope we can take these ideas to other domains other sports don't lend themselves this readily and this easily to artificial intelligence but the advances made in chess present to us a window into the kind of progress that we can expect in other sports in fact sports as a whole has begun taking on big data in massive ways remember the movie moneyball starring brad pitt there are rich teams and there are poor teams then there's 50 feet of crap and then there's For those who haven't seen it, it's a quiet drama based on the true story of a coach by the name of Billy Bean, who used deep data to pick a very different kind of baseball team in the early 2000s. Seeing that money value was placed on only a few data points, like runs or outs, Bean looked to using statistics that were less glamorous to draft a very affordable team that ended up winning the championship. Bean didn't have the luxury of advanced artificial intelligence at the time. But his foray into big data has allowed sports like football and basketball to follow suit, and it's the same principle behind a lot of outrageous bids you see on relatively unknown players at IPL auctions as well. Assume the hand of AI when you find yourself scratching your head over the high price for an uncapped player. I think it's fair at this point that you take a step back and take a long, deep breath in. It's normal to wonder if this is what sport really is or rather should be about. What used to be a game of perseverance, grit, determination, a constant effort for the underdog overcoming the toughest odds, sport now seems to be turning into a game for computers. In an age of AI and machine learning, would we have such in cover drive less 241 at the SCG? It's a tough question to answer. In a post-moneyball world, we've seen technology significantly improve the finer aspects of the game. Whether it be the decision review system in cricket or VAR in football, we've also seen the rise of players who rival the best of the best from the past, like LeBron James in the NBA. But it's one thing for the engineers and scientists to beat the drums for AI, and quite another for the actual sports people to do it. 
That's why we also spoke to Krutika Nadik, a women's grandmaster in the game of chess and a national champion in the years 2003, 2004 and 2008. And with chess being at the forefront of a lot of progress in AI, it only made sense to speak to one of the best in the game. So this was in the late 90s. So for the first few years I actually uh, was playing and learning chess only on a physical chessboard. And then you know eventually everybody got computers and we all started using um, engines. And then by the time I was an adult I was using engines regularly. The engines Krutika is talking about are nothing but the AI run computer programs and softwares that chess players can simulate games against. So basically uh, in terms of how things changed um Well it was obviously very useful because um you know you could use the engines to find the best moves so that you can out prepare your opponent and you know win a crucial game the tournament but in a sense it was also a bit of like you know you were outsourcing a lot of the work that your brain should be doing so i feel like that happens a lot with chess engines you know you sort of outsource some of the hard work or or a lot of the hard work to them actually because um you know the goal is uh nowadays the goal is less about uh individual creativity in chess and it's more about you know um uh, preparing really well and and coming up with like the most accurate gameplay so that you can actually win those crucial tournament games she's stepping into something very important here that shift in how players approach sport it's the pursuit of perfection but the question to be asked then is if that pursuit comes at the cost of sheer human will and creativity I'm going to keep returning to the Tendulkar analogy. AI could have helped him correct his technique immediately. But is the elimination of that grit, of that creative problem solving and the possibility of sheer human error any good for the future of sport? These are questions to think about. So, earlier, you know, in the in the late 90s or early 2000s, you could only rely on an engine to you know find like short tactical sequences of moves maybe uh but now and increasingly i mean you could rely on them to suggest moves that were based on deeper calculations or moves that that sort of gave you um longer term strategic advantages you know which the which the earlier chess engines didn't but it's very different from training with humans because there is a you know there are a lot of aspects to the game which are human aspects so it's not just about the moves your opponent is playing and whether those moves are accurate or you know how you should respond to those technically uh, it's also the psychological impact of who you're playing you know their rating their body language and in fact so many decisions that are made during games are based on things like body language and physical factors like should you offer a draw or like should you take a risk so you need human training partners to simulate those conditions you know you you can't uh, you can't get that uh with an engine you can't get that with chess ai in its current form which is these engines that are part of these traditional softwares so yeah they they serve two very different functions i would say right we've talked about players we've talked about gameplay we've talked about how players feel about all this now overseeing all of this is the one thing that ties all sports together the fans the sport watching experience is an entirely different beast compared to what it was even just 10 years ago i remember when i first started commentating scores would be tracked on pen and paper a score a present to mark down the result of each and every ball not just that they'd usually be a helper climbing those big black boards to change the digits after every run scored or ball bowled 
On television, you'd often be frustrated about not being able to figure out what your favorite player's score was because it would take a while before it even appeared on the screen. Now, of course, the range of data and analysis we receive ball by ball on our TV screens is a treat. In cricket, we see bat speeds, ball speeds, and the distances that the sixes travel. We see score projections, and now we even have 3D models of a cricket field that give us a view of what the field looks like from a batsman's eyes. The broadcast of sports has pushed the boundaries of sport viewing. I've seen this myself. Watching the sport isn't enough anymore. Knowing every single detail of it is equally important. We'd feel cheated if we weren't given a heat map or where the bowler has been bowling, or the XG model in football that is all the rage now. In India, a small company called Edison is at the forefront of this. They aim to provide live data to the viewer, giving them real-time updates on every single move a player has made and every blade of grass touched by the wind. It's immersive sport viewing at its peak. Ashok Karanth is the co-founder and CEO of Edison, and he has big plans. Here he's talking about what his company can do, and it's quite fascinating. So the core capability is that we are able to recognize various contextual information which is available in the video. So in a cricket game, for example, we can recognize, say, the athletes. We can recognize a Virat Kohli or an MS Dhoni basketball. We can recognize LeBron James, Steph Curry, etc. Using stuff like facial recognition, recognition of the numbers on the jersey and stuff like that, which is pure play computer vision, right? This recognizability on screen extends also to more minute things like brandings on billboards, the wickets on a cricket field and the ball itself being thrown around between players and all of it in real time. What you can technically do going forward using technology like ours is the ability to say click on a player right, and see stats about that player. right? the ability for us to deliver contextual information based on what you are watching. Because we know that LeBron James is scoring a three-pointer or has scored a three-pointer or we know Virat Kohli has scored a 50, right? We could now start pushing stuff like uh, why his merchandise, right? Or these are his stats, right? Which are more than just what, uh, you know, generic stats providers or what we see on TV. We can actually provide contextual information based on the events that are happening in the movie. Hypothetically, this could mean receiving a web of data that could enhance your viewing experience by a hundred times. Imagine watching Kohli hit another hundred and at your fingertips, you get immediate information about when he scored his last hundred. You'd be able to see real-time updated stats of his career down to even what his record is on that particular ground in that specific year. And if technology like Spectacoms merges with something like this, we could even get ball-by-ball -ball updates of the physics of his technique. As a self-confessed sport nerd myself, all of this sounds incredible. Not only do sports people become better at sports, fans become better informed fans. It's the history and the future of the game, all available with a mere touch of a button. And if you look at sports content, sports content was not meant for... Television-based sports content is still a sit-back and watch experience. But if you're watching sport, you want to interact. You want to be part of the experience, right? If your team scores a goal or your favorite player scores a, scores a 50 or scores a 6 or whatever it is, right? You want to interact. You want to, you want to be closer to the action. It's not a, just a passive viewing experience. So we wanted to sort of merge the inherent nature of sports content, which is interactive, with the device capabilities, which are all interactive, and using artificial intelligence to bring 
interactive sports viewing experience for fans around the world which is why we started it is in about 3 years back incredible no the sequential nature of sport the adversarial and result oriented focus of sport lends itself very easily to machine learning models and we're going to see the effects of those changes on players soon enough many sports might become unrecognizable to us in the future think about a person who watched don bradman in the 30s and 40s might think of t20 cricket today whatever it is we're in the midst of something path breaking we're likely to see sports players reach the peak of their abilities as close to scientific perfection as we might see them the competitiveness between players and teams will now be fought on the most minor of margins and the smallest of errors with artificial intelligence being a sports person might get a little harder than before but that's only because standards are going to be raised sky high and this change in approach will alter our perception of many sports it's not hard to imagine a world where we aren't just comparing runs and wickets in cricket or goals and tackles in football but finer things like bat swing or speeds of run ups it's already happening our brains will eventually adjust to the availability of all this data and we'll see players perform with robotic precision because well they might well be trained by them in the future all we have to do is sit back relax and watch the best players in the world compete in even more duels than we first thought the world is changing why shouldn't sport I'm Harsha Bhogle and you've been listening to Paradigm Shift, a podcast produced by Microsoft India in association with ATS Studio. Gaurav Vaz is our executive producer and Archana Nathan is our producer. This podcast was made possible by the amazing team at Microsoft India, including Charu Sharma, Rohini Srivatsa, Rajat Agarwal, Sriram Parthasarthi and Soman Napalakanna. Charu and Shri helped structure and shape the podcast with their thoughtful feedback and helping us connect the various dots this episode was researched and written by prithvir solanki prithvir has also conducted all the interviews you heard the title track sound design and background score for this podcast was created by nikhil rao and abhijit nath all clips and voices used in this podcast are owned by the original creators and we have provided links to the sources in our show notes To read full transcripts of our episodes and additional information about the podcast, follow the link in our show notes. To learn how Microsoft is working to empower every developer to innovate, every organization to transform industries, and every individual to transform society through its differentiated Microsoft AI and innovation vision, please visit the Microsoft AI link in the show notes.